Welcome to the Twee Couch Guitar Therapy Session where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Twee Couch we are counseling on performing on big stages versus small. The magnificence of a big stage. The PA, the lights, smoke, and the size that allows you to be able to move and perform with high energy. Of course, a small stage has its charm too. Generally, it means a more intimate crowd, more accessibility to the audience, and less pressure to perform visually. But which stage is better? Does it affect your gear choices? Is there more pressure on a certain stage? Should you use in-ear monitors or wedges? What's a thrust? Can I walk on it? How do you get a big stage gig? Should I turn down small ones? Can an amp sound different on different stages? And nostalgia. Oh, we've got lots of stories. Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with Lloyd on the Tweed Couch. Well, Lloyd, thank you so much for being here back on the couch, or am I talking to Super Dave Osborne? Well, I'm uh, glad to be here. I'm back on tour, but I'm making time. I'm in the dressing room. We're about to uh, go out and do a spectacular feat that uh, has never been done before. I'm sure that many people are going to be amazed. It involves bananas. (laughs) Elvis has never done anything that involves bananas, and so I don't want to tell you too much, uh, but it'll be be on uh, uh, CBS, I hope, maybe PBS. Yeah, back in 1984. The budget isn't quite the same as it used to be. That's what I'm saying. But it's going to be spectacular. Thank you, Super Lloyd. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) So we just had a chance to hang out and play at Life Fest. And we were playing on a gigantic stage called the Grandstand. And then we played on a pretty decent sized stage called Cafe. And I all of a sudden had this idea we should talk about large stage versus small stage. Is there a real difference? And, you know, and I'm glad you're here for this. So let's go ahead and start with what we just played. Let's talk about being on that big open stage and also on the smaller stage mm-hmm. underneath a tent. Yes. Well, the cafe stage was actually like going home because that's the Life Promotions PA system that they took to all the events this year. Yeah, that's so, exactly right. Um, the five events that I did, I was like, I'm back home. Even uh, Doherty, I I think he had a, a little battle with uh, Dorsing because uh, the mm-hmm. back line for that stage, if I got this right, did not include a, a JCM 900. It included uh, a Fender amp and uh, a couple of Vox AC-15s. That is exactly right. Yeah, Doherty's like, uh, put the 900 up there. And Dorsing is like, Lloyd doesn't need a 900. We do not need that on that stage. <laughs> Which, But yet, we got it. Yeah, and what we learned is that Dorosine got uh, micromanaged by uh, Doherty. Yeah, because <laughs> he is the executive director of the stages. So mm-hmm. really, it's one of those things that it's his job to go, this is what goes here, this is what goes there. But yep. you know what? When the festival director says, <laughs> my man needs a half stack, you get a half stack. Mm-hmm. And the thing about a marshal, though, is that a marshal is so focused when it throws off of that 412. Honestly, it's not that really that big of a deal. Except for 100 feet in front of the stage. Well, yes, but directed in a, in a very, very direct <laughs> yeah. motion. Yeah, 
<laughs> yes, it's uh, it's like a uh, an audio magnifying glass, and that the instead of uh, taking a magnifying glass to focus that sunbeam down to uh, burn your name in a chunk of wood or maybe the ant mm-hmm. that is right next to the name that you're burning yeah. in a chunk of wood by accident, of course, it just happens uh, yeah, that yeah. way. Yeah, I'm just trying to look at it in the sun. Yep. The Marshall Cab does that for the audio frequencies, and it focuses it to that one individual 100 feet right in front of the cab, and uh, yeah, and they usually die, but unintended, yeah. just like the uh, <laughs> just like the ant. But um, you know, and it was also when it was on the stage, it was facing forward, and I was yep. Barons, Todd Barons, amazing guy. That uh, oh, he's so good. Yeah, and I was so excited that he was doing the cafe. He actually also ran. Uh, the main stage with us too at the grandstand, but that's, uh, that's oh, yeah. a whole different story. So I was like, you know, I can turn this thing around. I can throw it off the side of the stage because it was blowing forward. And he was just like, no, it's all good. I was like, all right. Yeah. Okay. So what's interesting is, is that I had the Vox AC 15 C one. So it has the green back speaker in it and it's 15 Watts. And you had the 50 watt with a four twelve that had, T-75s, is that yes, right? Yes, we figured that out. Yeah, and I was off-centered from your cab, and I could hear myself great. But yet, you could hear me a lot. Uh, it, was, it was all good. It was fine. I had At first, you were pointed right at the back of my head, and so I, yeah. I turned you just a little bit. But yeah, it was great. A little off-axis, which is generally where the guitar amp sounds best anyway. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, no, it was great. And the thing about the cafe stage, what I noticed was I was using in-ears and you were using floor wedges. So this probably brings up an interesting point is you prefer using floor wedges as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I like to use in-ears as much as possible. And there was a couple of times where I went, okay, I'm going to go ahead and pull out an in-ear because this was a really interesting sound check for us because it was supposed to be a 15 minute changeover real quick and honestly it was real quick that 15 minutes but we had no time to actually check the monitors yeah which is why i shy away from in-ears and those kind of scenarios and what happened is what always happens there was no acoustic guitar in anybody's ears john's saxophone when he would play it was taking todd's head off in his ears Mm -hmm. bull couldn't hear the bass guitar at all Mm -hmm. so during the set John's trying to get the sound guy to turn things around. It was just, it was going nowhere. But that was just because we didn't have the time. That's exactly right. And I remember that we were up there and we were playing. And you guys have a first song that you always usually do. And it's called Working Days. Basically, you got Todd who starts singing with the drums going behind. There's no instruments, no nothing. And then you come up and you start to sing. And then... Here comes John. He comes up to sing. And during that time, I was looking at the sound guy telling him up and down. I was actually getting my monitor mix Mm -hmm. while you guys were up there doing your thing. Mm -hmm. So that when we came up for the second song and it was time to do a live, I was like, yep, I got I've got something. Yeah. Meanwhile, I was fine because I'm only about 15 feet at the most from the drum set. I've got a little bit of bass in my monitor. I've got you right behind mm-hmm. me. Um, yep. I don't care if I hear the keyboard. doesn't matter. Give me the bass and the Most drums the and the vocals. Mm-hmm. I could hear Todd. I was fine. And uh, yep. even the acoustic, which wasn't very loud in my monitor, I've got it strapped on. 
You know, it was, it's a quiet yeah. song, so it was okay. We always do working days first. Uh, it's a great opener, for one thing. It's, it's unlike most bands do, because it's, it's a cappella with drum set. You know, and it's, yeah. so it's say, oh, this is different. And it's a lot of fun. But we also love, you know, Barons loves when we do that song. And like, we did it first song at the Grandstand, too. And the reason Barons, the sound guy, loves it is that he doesn't have to worry about any other instruments. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. he can get the drums sounding just right so they're sitting right, get the vocals to sit right where he wants it. Yep. And then the next song, when we start to add guitar and bass, he doesn't have to worry about those other two, and he can just focus on those. And so yeah. I do it a lot, really. It's a great opener. I We probably would do it anyway. But in those kind of um, band settings, I always like to put that one first, especially because it's easier on a sound guy. Yeah, and as a sound guy, it makes a lot of sense because trying to get the vocals mixed just right while you have all the stage volume and all the things going on, especially if you have somebody playing a half stack in a tent. I mean, come on. (laughs) You know, it gives you a chance to have a fighting chance at all the other sound. And I bring that up largely because I look at how we played and how we did at the cafe and I pulled out an ear just to hear what was going on. And that's when I realized that I could hear barely anything. Ah. Like everything was just so loud. And when I put the ears back in, I went, okay, I got a fighting chance. <laughs> well, you were standing in front of my guitar. Well, I think over your, uh, under your left shoulder was my guitar amp, the aforementioned yep. half stack. And mm-hmm. you were, had Lowell's like hi-hat like a foot and a half to your uh, right behind you to the right yeah in the snare and the rides actually that's uh you know we could do a whole thing on why lloyd doesn't use in-ears probably <laughs> but there's there there are times that i will definitely use them i'm not i'm not against them people think i'm totally against them which i'm not i just most of the times i just feel like it's just simpler and I don't feel like I need them for what I'm doing. But there was one event where I w- they small stage, and they put me right in the middle. Normally, I'm off to the side a little bit, but we were playing as a four-piece. And so it was a small stage. I had the drums mm-hmm. in the back, bass to the right, um, had a, uh, a rhythm guitarist to the left, uh, Barber, actually. And I was standing right okay. in the middle, right in front of the drum set. And the drum set was about two feet behind me. And that was one time at an event where I was like, I made the wrong choice. I totally needed in ears because that's what you yeah. experienced with the Marshall amp and the drum set, right? But you, I can't imagine standing yeah. there and trying to play without in ears. It was basically just a wall of sound that was covering me. And I think that actually brings up probably what will be our next podcast, which will be when do you use in ears and when do you just use floor wedges? Hmm. Because there are times when I go, yeah, floor wedges, that's exactly what I want. And there are times when I go, in ears, that's all I can have. And we we will have that talk. Let's let's shelve it for now. Okay. We'll shelve. So now we move on to the grandstand. And on the grandstand, I upgraded from a Vox AC-15 to a Vox AC-30. And you didn't necessarily upgrade, but you did have a change in your JCM-900. What Mm -hmm. was the big change? Funny enough, I didn't think about the change at all. But you commented over to me, and I noticed too, you know, it's a different amplifier, but you're also, even though we were under a tent 
and the acoustics in those tents are always awful at the cafe stage. Oh yeah, but it's it's kind of an indoor feel as opposed to on the grandstand where you're out outside. And anybody who's ever played yeah. at a picnic or anything where a band is has rehearsed, you know, in their garage or their living room or whatever, and they're so used to the way everything sounds so fat and warm, and then they hop out onto this uh, um, stage out in a, a picnic area or something, they're like, oh my gosh, it's like. Where'd all the sound go, you know? And amplifiers <laughs> do that a lot. And so I, I was already, you know, expecting that it will sound different. But it sounded meteor, you know? And I, oh, I re- yeah. and, it, and you and I made a comment because you came over and said uh, you thought it sounded better than it did in the cafe stage. Well, it's, oh, yeah. it's a different Marshall head, but it's still a JCM 900. And mm-hmm. I actually didn't, EQ-wise, I didn't really do much different with it. You know, it was basically the same as what I the way I'd been setting it up before. And I was like, it sounds fine. So why change it? But it it did sound meteor. And the amp that was in the cafe stage that had the uh, T75s in it, the Celestian 75s, that's the cab I used all year at all the youth events. And now Doherty has a 412 cab that has vintage 30s in it. And he's asked me if I've wanted that before. And I'm like, oh, the 75s sound great. Let's Let's just keep going with that. But those vintage 30s... I did like them better than the 75s when... Uh, yeah. Because it was meteor, and I, I like that. You know, it had a nice... It was. Yeah. It was thick. It yeah, was big. It, was. it had this yeah. low end that was just so much more meteor. And that's where it comes back down to that complimenting tone that we were talking about. Yeah. Because I played my 73 Telecaster Custom into that Vox AC30, probably the exact same Vox AC30 that I played the last time with you. Mm-hmm. And you played the JCM 900 with the the V30s yeah. as the as the speakers yeah. and your Les Paul. Yeah. And man, the tone was so complimenting. And that's actually one of the things Todd, Todd Barron's the yeah. uh, the sound guy that he said cuz I asked him later. I was like so how did it sound? Like, did you actually put me in the mix? Because I realized <laughs> Echelon is Echelon, and you had some extra people. And he said, oh, no, you were all over the place. Because Lloyd had this big, low bottom end, and you had this sparkling tight, yeah. like, brightness. Yeah. Because Lloyd was playing with more gain, you were playing with less gain, and together it really just sounded great. It was probably the best I've heard Echelon. And I was like, really? That's a compliment. Because you guys sound awesome on your own. You know, we've done stuff for years and years and years. And he, he told me that, too, where he thought he thought this is as good as we've ever sounded, which is really pretty funny since we don't play together hardly at all. But but we just had a, but we just <laughs> had more. Yeah. But we just had a lot of fun on the grandstand stage and or, or the whole life. Life Fest was a blast for me. I just yeah, it, it was, was just so much fun. And that comes through in music. You know, that's a lot of it. We just played the songs. We had fun. We enjoyed the moment. You know, which is a key for a lot yeah. of people to realize, you know, um, but, you know, also the complimentary tone. I was also playing a Les Paul. You were playing the brightest telly in the world. You know, <laughs> it's a pretty bright telly. <laughs> yeah. Um, which amazed me that you showed me. Here we are. Those changeovers on that grandstand stage are really tight. Yeah, they are. And so we're done with our set, and people are starting to tear things. The, the crew comes out to start tearing everything down around us. And Stephen, you still, you go, like, come over here. Listen to this. This is what it sounds like with the tone on 10. Here's, here's where I had to roll down to. And I'm like, is this really the time? 
<laughs> Which it you was. This? <laughs> it was absolutely mind. the time. <laughs> you had the telly rolled down to five on the, the tone knob, yeah. and it sounded perfect. And I've, I've never mm-hmm. been able to uh, roll a tone knob that far down without a guitar to sound really muddy. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, yeah. how bright is this thing that you can roll it down that far? But you told me well, it was and bright. then I pulled it all the way up to ten, and I played, and you were like, "That sounds usable too." Oh, and it I was did. Like, yeah. Well, I it's love, crazy. I love that. That shimmery, bright, it really mm-hmm. has its place too, depending on what you're doing. But okay, so yeah, the complimenting tone. Going back to the speaker thing, also the Celestion Twenty Fives that were in the cafe stage, those are known mm-hmm. for having no mids. They're all bottom end and top end with a very scooped middle. Which yeah. works great with a Les Paul. I would agree. Because, you know, the Les Paul has, you know, it's meaty. A lot of mids. Yeah, it works great. Yeah. Well, go to the grandstand stage, and now you got the Vintage 30, which is known for being a smoother high end, still a, a good tight bottom end, but mids, especially the lower mids, or I think it's upper mids, because the Les Paul has a little more mo- lower mids, which is why they go mm-hmm. so well together. And so, yeah, it just thickens everything up. And so you have that tone along with your tone, there was a, there was a bunch of people that took, uh, I understand it's telephone audio isn't the most reliable, but there was a, quite a few people that took clips of various songs from us Yeah, that I got to hear. And you were totally in the mix. I loved hearing it. I loved hearing, yeah, exactly what Barron's described that. Yeah. You just had this, you had this place in the mix that fit right above sonically where, where I was at. And they just, they worked mm-hmm. great. They worked great together. The thing is, is that I look at how we played and what we did and just sonically what we could do, because I went, I'm on the grandstand. I'm going to crank the volume all the way up. And I decided to grab the master volume on the AC 30. I cranked it all the way up. I hit a couple of chords and went, nope, that won't do. And I actually brought it back down and I went, where does it just sound good? I'm not going to just crank the master because I can. I'm going to put it where it belongs. And I put it in a spot and I went, that sounds really good. And I asked you, I was like, is that, is that too loud? And you were like, nope, sounds great. All right. This is where we go. Yeah. I was a little disappointed at the moment because the, the uh, headliner that night, now the way if people don't understand, if you don't understand how these grandstand things work, the band that plays last at night is the first one to set up in the morning. And they get pretty much as much stage space as they want because they're the headliner. That's what they call them. So depending on the headliner, they may come in with a lot of stuff. And then everybody throughout the day then uh, in reverse order sets up their stuff in front of the last until you get to the uh, bands like us that we just have a house drum set and we just roll out a couple amps and a keyboard and we pull it back off again. It's nothing permanent. But because it was Toby Mac that was headliner that last night. That, that grandstand stage is, as we said, is a big ass stage. And yeah, it is. It was a very small, tight ass that was, uh, that we had <laughs> left to play on. There was no room at all yeah. in the front. And so I was planning on, I was like, Oh, it'll be great. I'll take the Marshall. I'll turn the cab backwards and I'll just crank that sucker up and blow it out the back wall. Well, we get up there and there's no room for me to even, I was like, where am I even going to put this thing? Because you yeah. were standing right behind me, and so was Peter. Yep. So I'm like, okay, there's this little spot towards the front of the stage over here. So I did a side wash across the stage, and I'm like, well, I can't crank it up. Now, I would have loved to turn it the other way, but it would have been right at Monitor World. And I was like, I'm not going right. to do that to him. And so 
I didn't turn mine up that much either. I mean, it was, they're always loud. Yeah, it's plenty loud. I don't know if it was really that much louder than what it was in the cafe. Yeah. Mine was definitely louder than it was in the cafe, but that's because it's the AC-30 versus the AC-15. Yeah. And also, everything gets trapped underneath a tent. So that, that makes a big difference, too. Yeah. But one of the things that I noticed was because we didn't have the tent... Because we had the larger stage, because even though I would say that the amount of space we had between the cafe and the grandstand was relatively similar, Mm. the ability to turn it up because the ceiling was, you know, 40 feet in the air, 30 feet in the air, as opposed to 15 feet in the air, you know, from the stage that we were on. You know, there was a difference in the openness in which we were able to get. Yeah. And that's the thing with playing those big stages is you kind of get that luxury of of letting your amp breathe, letting it just be loud. If you were to take that and move it into a house, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, it's blowing my ears off. No way. If you were to take it into a sanctuary, a large sanctuary, you'd be like, oh my gosh, that's blowing my ears off. If you were to take that and just stick it in your backyard, you'd be like, oh, my my neighbors are going to be so mad. But, well, maybe not your neighbors because you live in the country. But you get the idea. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I look at playing out there on the grandstand and honestly, I had it as loud as I needed it. And it sounded fantastic. Mm -hmm. But the AC-15, I felt like I needed to turn down. Yeah. Because of the smaller stage and the lower ceiling. Yeah, sure. Um, I was concerned. I immediately, after I turned mine on, because it was sidewash, I went over to uh, Todd's side of the stage, which was about a half a mile away, hopped in a golf cart, (laughs) took a drive over to his side, hopped out. And like we talked about before, it was pretty loud over by him because those those cabs just throw. And I'm like, oh, dang. And I I went and and John immediately went, well, we'll need him in the monitor. And I'm like, you're doing in-ears. Once we get all planned, that's what I'm thinking to myself. But yeah. at the same time, I was like, yeah, I can turn it down. This is a little loud over here. Because it wasn't, it did not, it was not as loud over by where I was standing. But once I moved over there, yeah. So that brings up playing at Grandstand. And I had my ears in and I went ahead and pulled out an ear because we were doing Seize My Heart. And I like to hear my amp doing the tremolo. Yeah behind the acoustic which was great and i pulled that thing out and it sounded amazing i could hear everything just beautifully and when i did it at cafe i went i got a lot of my amp yeah you know and so it really was a big difference because you were standing in front of the two monitor wedges that were in front of me and i had a mix of everything in them and so yeah and i like i like the sound like a warm blanket not enough to go deaf i don't want that but here's the other advantage so at the at the grandstand stage, there's a big stage that they call it a thrust that it shoots out in front of the stage. Oh yeah. And you and I are like, oh yeah, we're going out on the thrust. Even That's though happening. there's it's not really what bands like us it's really headliners do that kind of thing and the crowd goes crazy because yeah. you're like you're out there with the people and nobody cares about us. But we're gonna go out mm-hmm. there because it's right there. So me, yeah. no in ear guy. I'm able to go out in the front of that thrust and on like We Aren't an Empty and I don't know what the other song that I was out there, I can hear my guitar very loudly coming out of the PA. 
And yeah. that is so worth not wearing in-ear monitors for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so great. It's so great to just be hitting those corners going, oh, my. I'll, I'm just – give me my mic. I'm going to just park myself right here. Yeah. And you know what? We are going to come back to that because I have comments to say about that as well that you might be surprised on. But okay, I'm, I'm going to go with one last thing talking about this and then we're going to move on and that is as a person who works the festival but also gets to play the festival the amount of clout that i got playing grandstand and then going back to working the festival was amazing (laughs) really it really was like it was crazy because i got off the stage and all of the stage hands that i helped train all the stage hands that have seen me running around from stage to stage doing things, all of a sudden when they saw me on stage play and then I came off the stage, it was almost like they all went, that's exactly what I've wanted to do. It was like mm-hmm. a dad watching their kid play baseball and going, I was never that good. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was just so amazing because they were just like, that's that was amazing. You guys were the best band I heard all weekend. Oh, you know, I'm like, yeah, well, right. that's a. Yeah, big order because yeah. I know who's already come up but and yeah. they're all really good. And I think some of it is that ability to go, I know that guy. And so you pay a little more attention, you see more things, you enjoy it. And then on top of it, you had monitors that blew yeah. back at them so they could hear it. Which we've talked before. Yeah. Makes it a lot more enjoyable backstage. It does. It does. So, so this should bring us to nostalgia time. So before we start talking about maybe some of the differences that you would have in what guitar do you bring, what amp do you bring, what pedals do you bring based off of a stage size, let's go ahead and let's take a break for our sponsors and we'll be right back. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Here's another sponsor. Are you wanting to join a party with a purpose? If you love music and camping, then come to LifeFest in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'll see you there. Here is our last sponsor. Since 2003, the Kretzman Guitar Company has been repairing and building guitars. In 2021, Kretzman started a production of a solid body electric guitar for anyone student to expert. You can check them out at KretzmanGuitars.com. Let's talk a little nostalgia. I'm trying to think of the times that I've seen you play on the smallest stages. The smallest stage I can think of that you have played was first of all in my youth room because <laughs> as we've mentioned before you are my youth director or were my youth director back when I was in ninth grade and unless you've tried to like block that out maybe that's the thing too well I don't know <laughs> yeah but but there was so many more youth in our youth group in Texas it that's doesn't true. really it, yeah I mean it doesn't really qualify for uh I played for less people in that are in the band before and the youth group was never that <laughs> And the thing is, is that you played your Martin Shenandoah and it was 1994 and you're playing songs. And I want to say that I remember at that time being wowed and you might be like, oh, oh, thank you. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. but really in that moment, 
what I was wowed about was kind of the professionalism. You know, I'm used to like kumbaya, you know, here's some shine, Jesus shine, you know, like Hmm. a youth director just hacking at an acoustic. Hmm. And here I had someone who was a professional just playing right in front of us, helping leading worship. And in that moment, there was a wow factor. And I remember it being eye-opening. I remember it being kind of a thing where it was like, I enjoy doing music and singing to this type of music. And that's something I had not had before. Now, keep Hmm. in mind, I'm in ninth grade. How would I know that? But that small little stage with just an acoustic guitar, at the time, I mean, how much did you pay for that Shenandoah? I traded in a guitar for it, but I think uh, I think it was five hundred bucks. So five hundred bucks and about twenty five kids in a room, mm-hmm. and one kid thought it was magical. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, a small stage is a big deal, mm-hmm. and it's intimate. And I think that that's pretty cool. So that's that's one thing I thought of. And the second small stage, which had a lot of people, was when we were in St. Louis back in 2000. Yeah. You and the Echelon guys decided that you wanted to do some busking. Okay. Do you remember what busking is? Um, I think so, but you tell it. So it's when you just kind of stand outside of like an opening entrance to a place and you just play songs. Yeah. And we showed up no PA. and we had, <laughs> had no PA. And I think what it was is that we had John with his sax and his penny whistle. Yeah. We had you with your acoustic. Mm-hmm. Lowell brought his little tiny drum set, like a tiny trap set that would fit in a suitcase. And Todd played my mandolin. Yeah. Lowell had a uh, small Tom that he uh, retrofit as a kick pedal, as a kick. He'd lay it on his side. Yeah. Yeah. Just small. So it was easy to, easy to bring. And so we had a little kick. Yeah. And sometimes he would just do kick and hand drum. He had a hand drum he'd strap on. So he'd do kick and that. Oh, yeah. So he'd just do that. The vibe was awesome. It was so amazing because that's a 30,000 person event. And I'm not saying 30,000 people walked through those doors, probably closer to like, eight or 9,000 mm-hmm. walk through those doors that we were at. But I remember you guys took up like this, like four by five piece of sidewalk and you played. And as a joke, I opened up my mandolin case that Todd was playing the mandolin <laughs> and I just put it out going, I'll oh, just throw tips in. And we all laughed yeah. and we thought it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And then after all the kids went in, John took a look and he went, Whoa, people actually put money in there. <laughs> <laughs> and we found out that we ended up making like a couple of hundred dollars and it was like, we're going to go out to dinner and we're going to pay cash. Yeah. Reason we did that. Well, today I would be like, oh, there's no way my voice could handle doing that. You know, trying to sing over top of those people to try to make yourself known. But back then, you know, it worked fine. But a lot of reason we did that is because like you said, there's so many people at these events and it was a way for us. To just see people. As you said, you'd have seven or 8,000 people just walk by. And there would be people that yeah. we, had, um, we hadn't seen for a couple of years that just were from California or just flew out to this event. And they'd be like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know you guys were here. You know, that's what always happened during that time. Yeah, that's that exactly time. right. And we, we just loved mm-hmm. that. It allowed us to see a bunch of people, you know. So another one that I want to bring up of, of you guys and that is probably back in 1999. 
I had not gone on team yet. I had not gone on tour. Matter of fact, the amount of guitar knowledge that I truly had was based off of what I learned in my bedroom, learning how to play guitar to Aerosmith and Hootie and the Blowfish CDs. And I remember that I was working at a skate shop. It was called Fast Forward, and we made skateboards and all that kind of stuff. And Todd was like, I'd like to buy a skateboard. And I was like, awesome. I got you. So he came over. We put the whole skateboard together, did all that stuff. He bought it, and he said, hey, are you going to bring your axe? And I was like, bring my axe? Like, like what? And he was like, yeah, bring your axe to Dallas. I was like, my axe. And now I laugh at myself because I know an axe means guitar, but in the moment making a skateboard, I was like, I don't own an axe. Am I supposed to bring an axe? Do we throw the axe? I don't know. And I was like, yeah, I can bring it. And I remember bringing it to the event and there was about 500 ish kids that were there and playing on that stage. And I remember it was you and Lowell and Todd, and John, and then there was barely enough room for me. So this is a pretty small stage, mm-hmm. and we're all up there, and I'm playing, and you totally did one of those, like, Back to the Future moments where it was like, it's a blues riff from B, watch me for the changes and try to keep up, because you just were like, we're going to do Spiderweb. And I was like, okay. And you was like, Kive. Uh, okay. <laughs> and I just had to kind of watch you and see where we were going. And the thing is, is that moment on that larger than a youth group stage, mm-hmm. but still smaller than cafe. I remember in that moment, something once again, magical for me. It's almost like that, like bit by the snake. I got the virus and now I'm like, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. I want to tour. I want to play. I want to do things. And this is one of those elements where I look at small stage versus large stage. And I look at small stage and I go, there's a lot of impact that can happen at a small stage. Yeah. I didn't know that youth group story at all. You never told me that. In all these years, I never knew that. Nope. Yeah. Mm-mm. That's, uh, I had you conned. Yeah. See, I packed it away a long time until, and I waited for therapy mm-hmm. to bring it up mm-hmm. because it was so devastating when you left a year later. I thought it was years later. Someday, back in 1994, <laughs> you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to have a podcast and I'm going to, I'm just, yeah. and I'm going to ask Lloyd to be on the podcast and we're going to, mm-hmm. and I'll just, I'll just bring that out and I'll see if I can get a tear because the guy does not cry. And I want to see a tear once in my life from him. And yes. this is not a tear. This is sweat because yes. it's very hot. Yeah. Right I'm going to wait 30 years and I'm going to bring this up. <laughs> and if he doesn't cry, mm-hmm. then he has no heart, no soul. Mm-hmm. And he's dead to me. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> so not dead yet. Uh, so <laughs> you went, when you said it's merely a flesh wound. <laughs> when you said small stage, it's funny that you bring up St. Louis because the first thing that popped into my mind was I, my life has been wild in that I have played the grandstand we talked about. It's just a it's just a fantastic stage to play in, and I thank you, John Doherty, mm-hmm. again for asking us to play on that because uh, what a blast, and I enjoyed every moment of it, but. I played in the, I don't remember all the titles of them, so we'll call them all Superdomes. I played in the St. Louis Superdome. Okay. I played in the New Orleans Superdome. I played in the Atlanta Superdome. I played in the Indianapolis mm-hmm. Superdome. 
I played in uh, mm-hmm. Orlando, Florida, huge convention center because they didn't, they didn't have a Superdome there. But I played in a bunch of Superdomes. And the St. Louis one was the same time that you were with us in 2000 that you were talking about. And I don't yep. know if you remember this. Todd wrote a song that was used as the theme for the that day at the, That's at right. the it was event. It like Dance With Me or yeah. something. And so, so we played it live. That one day. And so that's the only time we played it. We, we went out, we sound checked in the afternoon, but we went out and played on, and it's still 25,000 people. We played that, that one song for 25,000 mm-hmm. people. It was great. Todd did a really cool thing where, where he got half, you know, like 13,000 of them clapping on one rhythm and 13,000 clapping another rhythm. And it was just, it was, it was pretty cool. Do you remember how he split them? I thought it was right down the middle. I thought. Left and right. No, he split them because you guys have a song where you do a split yeah. right down the middle. Yeah. But how do you do that in a Superdome? Yeah. So what he did was, if you are east of Mississippi. Oh, that's right. Or you are west of Mississippi, that's when you chose when to clap. And believe it or not, people understood. Yeah, it worked. It totally worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, and remember, and remember, Desmond Tutu was the speaker that night. Yeah, he so was. we we hung out backstage <laughs> with Desmond Tutu, waiting waiting for us to go on. Uh, yep, what a nice lad that Desmond. But yeah, yes. so so we played for twenty five thousand people, and and our and our schedule at this event was was really really tough. We did a worship for about a thousand people every morning at eight o'clock, and that was probably the best mm-hmm. stage we played the entire oh, yeah. event. But we have to be there by 7 to set up every morning. And then uh, we played throughout the day. Then we played the uh, the Dome event that evening. And then we did a late night thing that was at a hotel that was, I don't know, on the other side of St. Louis. So it was 20 minutes from yeah. downtown. So we just got done playing for 25,000 people. We tear down. We head to this hotel 20 minutes west of downtown and we play for five people we're like that's yeah. got to be that's got to be the greatest dichotomy and the amount of people you play for <laughs> who is ever in the same day Twenty five thousand to five <laughs> so so i mean i mean in the yep. same day big ass stage five people same day yep yep yeah and you know to put that into perspective I remember playing in, gosh, I think it was 2005 or 2006. I got to play the Brown County Arena in Green Bay for about five or 6,000 people. We had our you know, sound system up. We had a pretty big stage. And I just remember doing our show and playing going, oh, my gosh, Second Adam has made it. We're doing it. This is amazing. And then we played like 50 to 500 for the next year. <laughs> and it was like, what, what just happened? Yeah. How did we go from a big stage with a lot of people to little stage with a you know lesser amount of people? And, you know, it's crazy because that's just the way that that it rolls with a, a musician. Yeah. You take the gig. We got paid the same amount playing for 5,000 as we did playing for 50. Yeah. Didn't make a difference. Yeah. The biggest deal that I had ever done was a strange irony of it was also the last full time thing that Echelon ever did. 
and that was playing <laughs> the National Youth Gathering in the Superdome in New Orleans. And I yeah. remember, you know, we had that shuttle bus that was our travel vehicle with a big trailer. And it was the weirdest thing. You know, you're used to pulling up to an event to unload. Where's the loading dock? Mm-hmm. Is there a ramp? Is there a uh, hydraulic an lift? An elevator. Something, yeah. an elevator. Oh, the elevator's on the other side of the uh, building. You'll have to push it around. This event, they opened up a garage door and we drove in <laughs> and parked onto the football field and parked right next to the stage. And I'm looking around. This place seats over 80,000 people. And we're yeah. playing in the round in this thing. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, because Echelon are marketing geniuses. Of course, the biggest thing we would ever play, that's when we decide to stop going full time. You know, the yeah. biggest exposure we have, swan song. See you later. But yeah, kind of bring this back to amplifiers. We did a bunch of things like that, like in St. Louis, in the Superdome, in Atlanta, where a lot of these events that we're doing, they were bringing in a uh, a label artist to play. And at that time, Audio Adrenaline was like the band to bring into these events. And so yeah. we kept showing up at these events where Audio Adrenaline is going to be playing one of the nights. I, you know, I'm, I'm known for playing a Marshall half stack now. But when I was full time, I always played a combo amp. I always played yeah. some form of one, two ten or two twelve combo. Yep. Easy to put in an anvil case. It was either the seventy one Vibrolux or mm-hmm. it was the Nailer back yeah. before they like were in Dallas back and when I, they were in Michigan. And I had a PV Classic fifty for a while. Yep. So here we are. We show up at these events, and every time the room that we're in, that we're we, uh, to set our stuff and hang out and kind of rehearse a little bit, it's got all the backline gear for audio adrenaline in it. And every single time, <laughs> there's a JCM 800 half stack sitting there. And I remember thinking, who can use one of these? <laughs> you know, <laughs> only audio adrenaline. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like, because they always, they flew into those gigs, and that's what Tyler used. He'd use a, a red yeah. back line. I looked at those things, and I went, I have no idea how to use this amplifier. Because my whole world has always been, you're too loud. You're too loud. Turn down. Yeah. I'm like, how would you use this thing? And well, you know, you and played a twin, and you put it to one, and everybody's saying it's too loud. And you're like, yeah, yeah but if I put it to half, there's no volume. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly right. And anyway, so I thought that was funny that uh, I remember distinctly. There was a couple times when we were rehearsing, I plugged into it, and uh, that was really kind of what started the whole thing for me on Marshall because I realized, oh. You know, if you set them up clean with a with an overdrive pedal, that really sounds good too. Even though it's a fifty watt amplifier, I really kind of dig it. You know, and I still yeah. didn't buy one until I toured with Peter all those years. But that was really the start of it. It was really Tyler. Yeah. We talked about that before. Tyler of Audio Adrenaline was really the reason I I finally went. Dang it, I'm going to get me a Marshall. And it started. Yeah. It started at playing at those those events with Echelon and and seeing it sit in the room and yeah. Uh, another small stage actually happened at that uh, at that event because um, Auto Adrenaline was playing that night, and we were set up on the main area. But then they kind of took over the main area, and so they pushed it to this this little side stage. We're playing in Superdome. We're playing in the round. You know, there there was about thirty five thousand people in an eighty thousand seat place. 
And they put us on a little side stage right off the main stage there that was only about maybe a 10 by 10 stage. We are used to playing in this yeah. big, huge thing all weekend long, but that night we got shoved on this little stage. And you know, that was actually one of the funnest sets. All of us kind of shoved into that little thing, still for 35,000 yep. people, but we're all in this little 10 by 10 stage. It was, it was fun. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. You know, you bring up playing, you know, some of these stages and everything. And I remember that aspect of playing the large stage with Second Adam and then going to playing small stages for a while. You, you talked about the biggest stage you played, the biggest number of people was kind of the last full-time gig. Now, first of all, I want to ask this question before I go on to my story. So when you guys decided to call it quits full-time, how long is it now since then? How much time has lapsed since you guys said, oh, we're not doing this full-time, but yet you still end up getting gigs? <laughs> that New Orleans event was 2002. Yep. And here mm-hmm. you are 21 years later and you yeah. guys are still playing together yeah. and still doing stuff. Yeah. So evidently it, there was enough to keep the coattails right there to grab a hold of and continue moving forward. So. Yeah, I was I was 31 years old, you know, and it was it was yeah. time. You know, that's a that's another story, I guess, or another therapy, you know, because I didn't want to quit, you know, but. Well, maybe that's our that's one of our therapies as well, where we're going to go ahead and talk about when do we say it's yeah. time to be done. <laughs> the Lost and Found thought we were nuts. They told it to our yeah. face. They're like, you know, you're and and I played a couple shows just as Lloyd after that event that summer. I played at a couple camps mm-hmm. and oh, my gosh, I was like a superstar for that month. because yeah. All these kids had seen me at the Dome and. They're like, this is the same guy that was on the big stage, you know, and it's not about that. You know, we know it's like we're just no. real people. It's whatever. But but it was funny because I'd never had that before. Hey, but the thing is, is that it's a foot in the door to get done what you need to get done. And that's the big thing that people don't understand with with Christian artists like you and I. When we do the big stage and everything, it's exciting. It's fun. We enjoy it. But it's not so that later we can feel like we're just that much better. It's that we already have that automatic foot in the door to be able to actually just have a meaningful conversation with somebody. Yeah. Like I said, it's the amount of clout. So, you know, I come off the stage and all these people I've already been talking about see me now play the stage that they go and set all up and they go, oh, hey, and they just want to talk. And I'm like, cool, let's talk. Yeah. And I have no problem with that. It's not like, well, I'm too busy. I've got to put away my guitar and all that kind of stuff. It's like, no, this is great. And it's yeah. it's almost like a team building thing with those guys. But when doing ministry stuff with like kids and stuff like that, it becomes this this foot in the door to be able to go, okay, well, let's let's talk. There's a trust that ends up occurring. Yeah. Yeah, because your identity has to be rooted in who you know God says you are, you know, mm-hmm. and not on your accomplishments where you do it. And we've... I know so many people like that in my in my world, and you're one of them. That we've been able to keep that keep that grounding. It's not it's it's not about playing the big stuff. You know that's fun. It's fun to do it, but it's not what gives us. It's not it's not where our value comes. It's just a trip to do it. Right. You know. Yeah, it is. Well, it's the journey. It's the it's what you end up finding. I mean, one of the things, and so this goes actually leads into the story that I was going to talk about was in 2008. 
I decided that I was done playing full time with Second Adam. And I was like, I'm going to finish touring. I'm going to finish doing all these things. Actually, technically, it was in 2007. I said, I'm not going to be that dad who's gone on the road for weeks at a time and then comes back. I want to be there full time. And I remember us finishing our bookings. And one of our things that we had was playing at Life Fest. And we told Bob, we were like, yep, we're done, all that kind of stuff. And that was in 2007. And so when we came around to 2008, all of a sudden it was Lynn said, hey, can you come play with me? And because I was there, Echelon said, hey, you want to come play with us? I went, sure. And I got to play on the grandstand there, which mm-hmm. was a different grandstand altogether at that yep. time. Yeah. But my bass player, Josh, he sat in the seats and he watched me up there. And at the end he said, man, you belong up there. Like Hmm. I just witnessed that and it looks right. I'm really sad that you're leaving it because Hmm. you belong up there. And it's interesting because now that was 2008 and here we are in 2023. And as much as I've tried to get out of it, I keep getting drawn back in. Yeah. And what a blessing is that Absolutely. that I didn't get in my own way. Yeah, I, w- I was able to do it in a in a way in which I'm still able to be utilized, but still be able to fulfill the calling in which I felt in the moment. Yeah, you know, I I told John Doherty this too, and I know that that the life promotions events, you know, it'd be nice to have some younger bands come in. They're just where are they? We always have that conversation about where they are. Yeah. And I never thought at this age, this many years later, I'd still be doing stuff. At the same time, I see it as a as a gift and a blessing that uh, I know I won't always be able to do it. And so enjoy it while it's here. And playing that grandstand stage, you know, that's the way it felt. That's why I enjoyed just the moment of it. You know, it yep. just, just it was like, I'm just going to enjoy this. Not, I get all stressed out about stuff and... Yeah, it was great. Uh, did you see the video that Jeremy Dorsing, where he walked from the the original grandstand and the and the yes. and the the screen that's back there and walked all the way around to the front? I mean, that is awesome. I wish we could say there was a lot of people there. There weren't, but it was still really fun. Well, there was people behind as well, so there is mm-hmm. that. But you know, it was super cool. I did actually end up posting that up, I believe, onto the Instabook. Instagram, whatever, Um, as well as some other things. And, uh, you know, it's it's so cool to see that and him walk around and kind of go to that because you could hear the evolution of tone based off of where the speakers were facing. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty cool because you could hear a lot of you with me kind of underneath. And then as he came up to the front, because he happened to be right in front of my Vox. Yeah. You could hear a lot of me and a little yeah. of you. And yeah. it was like you could actually hear the spectrum change of oh there's a lot of Lloyd, oh there's some Steven, oh there oh there's a lot of Steven <laughs> and there's you know. Yeah. And that was that was super cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we should probably start to bring this to a close. And as we start to bring this to a close, I'm going to just do some rapid fiery type things because there's a number of questions that I was like, "Oh man, I really wanted to get to that, but we've had so much fun going down memory lane, yeah. and I think there's actually some amazing things that have occurred out of it. Um, we're going to do some rapid fire. I think you said, let's just do some quick nostalgia. 
I think that's what you said yeah. earlier. <laughs> 45 minutes later. Yeah, here we are. That's what happens every time. Sorry, so, podcast listeners. And if earlier on in this podcast, you're like, wow, that seemed like a weird break for the sponsors. Yes, because I did that in post because <laughs> there was just not a time to just stop. Yep. So here we go. We're going to okay. do a little bit of rapid fire. So the first one is based on stage size, do you change what kind of guitar you'll use? No. See, and for me, I will say no, but acoustic is what I think of when I go, oh, I need a, sm I got a smaller stage. I should play acoustic. But at the same time, if I'm playing with a band, yeah, I'm just going to play the same guitar. Doesn't matter. Yeah, that actually is exactly where I went in my head when you asked that. Um, yeah, but I'm thinking, you know, you, we're, we're talking band stuff. So, no, guitar-wise there, I don't. But I do think if smaller, more intimate, I do tend to think acoustic guitar. I went to a retreat one time where I was asked to do music. And about a week before it, the pickup in my guitar stopped working. And mm. I went, oh, no, what am I going to do with this? And I ended up bringing my little Eggnator Tweaker 15 amp and my White Falcon. And I did sing-alongs and worship tunes with yeah. that thing to about 150 kids at a camp. Just me, yeah. the White Falcon, and this Eggnator Tweaker. Yeah. And honestly, it worked great. Yeah, it, it, There was no issue. Why, why wouldn't it? But, yeah, we have this no, thing about not. you can't play that without drums and a bass. But then again, I just did. You, you did. Know? It's like <laughs> and it worked. You worked. All right. So let's go to the next one. The next one is, do you choose an amp based on a stage size? <laughs> I probably should. But I played a confirmation worship service with my Marshall half stack before. Darn right you did. And and the reason is this, because whoever uh, was in like direct vision of your like 412 speaker, they saw Jesus <laughs> earlier. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I, you know, I've run, I've run some type of power soak for a while, but the reality is I learned early on that a Marshall, I mean, it's just a 50 watt amp. A lot of my combo amps are 50 watts too. You know, they're not, yeah. you know, it's, there really aren't any, any different. I learned early on that, a, a big iron Marshall amp set clean with an overdrive pedal sounded more pleasing to me than a lot of combo amps that I played. Set clean, mm -hmm. set clean. And so I'm like, you can run a Marshall amp, you can run it quieter and run it clean with an overdrive and it actually sounds really good. And, you know, as long as you have wheels and, you know, that you can roll things in, that's really, it's more the, I pick the size of the amp more for the convenience of travel. Or how big is the trailer? Yeah. Then, or how big is the stage? What, what do I have room to set stuff? More than whether it's a fifty watt or a twenty watt amp. I, I've never worried about that too much. Now, there have been a couple places, bigger stages, that I've been able to turn a JCM eight hundred up or a JCM nine hundred or heck, even a Vox AC fifteen. Once I did one Peter show, where I sent you a clip of the JCM or the uh, the Vo uh, the AC thirty, cranked all the way up. Mm -hmm. And it had this glorious overdrive. The AC-15 yeah. also has a really nice overdrive, but you never get to use it because it's so loud. I played one Peter show where I was able to turn the amp around, stick something over the back, and all I did was ride my volume knob and turned it up really loud. And that's just a little AC-15. And yeah. so if I can be louder, 
I like to use an amp because I'm I'm pretty simple. Yeah. I don't use a ton of effects. Give me a good yeah. good overdrive and a delay and and I'm pretty much good. So there. You mentioned playing the half stack. Well, I played a half stack at a coffee shop once. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And it was awesome. Yeah. It was really awesome. And it sounds great. But I ran it clean. Yeah. I put it into the high input mm-hmm. and I put the master volume at about two and a half, but I put the preamp volume at about two, yeah. two and a half. And it sounded fantastic. Yeah, it does. And I did the exact same coffee shop with a Vox AC 15 later. And honestly, there was no volume difference. No, there was size difference, but <laughs> there was no volume difference. Yeah. It yeah. was totally worth it for yeah. me. It's so much perception. Exactly. And, you know, so the question is, do I actually choose the amp based off of the stage size? Not really. Not really. Obviously, if I knew in advance that I had a four by eight and I'm having a drum set and a bass player and me, well, then sure, I'll I'll bring a, a little 15 watt something or I'll just go direct using the quad cortex or something like that. But yeah, yeah um, not really. Yeah. And like I said, if I know that I want, cause you and I both really like that edge of breakup tone, you know, with an overdrive. Oh, yeah. And a lot of times you got to get louder to be able to get this. It, it's funny. You said, we talked really about my uh, 71 Vibralux. And I remember John one time we were in, and I was using that amp live already. Yeah. We went into the studio and we stuck that amp in a room and so I, I put it on five, you know, four or five, whatever. So it had just that little bit of grit to it. And I still oh, kicked yeah. an overdrive on it, but it was stinking loud. And John made the comment to me, this amp has never sounded this good live. And I went, John, you won't ever let me turn it up anywhere close to this. <laughs> That's it. That's what it is. But he, he yeah. heard it. He heard it. He's like, it just had, it had this life to it that we never get at live performances nope. because you can never turn the thing up like that. Nope. So that's the and Interestingly enough, with a power soak or an attenuator or whatever, you still can't get it. No, you can't. There's something about the interaction of the speakers and the volume, everything, and the cabinet and everything. It, and, and John heard it. And I'm like, yeah, that's why we like to turn them up. Yep. But, you know, we know we can't most of the time. Um, I will also say that for the most part, since... I don't worry about using overdrive from an amplifier. I'm not worried about volume. You know, I can, I can use pretty much any amplifier, set it clean, make it work. It doesn't have to be very loud. Uh, but I remember yeah. Moses Oakland, he played at Famous Dave's in Minneapolis. I don't know if you ever saw yep. him. And oh, I, remember, I remember Moses. I don't know if he worked on any of your guitars. He worked on some of mine. No. His tone, I mean, this guy's a great, he's a blues guy. Always wears bib overalls. Um, fantastic mm-hmm. player and most of the time he would play like i think it was in like a 335 i think it's a gibson an old gibson 335 i believe mm-hmm. and his tone is so great and he's the guy that got on kenny years ago because kenny hopped on that stage with a tube screamer and moses screamed on him in front of the festival crowd about get that crutch off my stage <laughs> because moses doesn't use any pedals he gets all, no. and, and he gets this beautiful screaming overdrive. But the only way you can get that is with volume. So he has 
and he told me once, he showed me, he's got like three different Fender amplifiers from like a super, super low watt, depending on the room, to a larger, larger amp because he cranks those suckers all the way up. Oh, and, yeah. Because to get that overdrive. So he uses, you know, he uses like this five watt Fender thing at Famous Dave's. And I'm like, and I'm like, you know, there's something really cool about that. Just working the volume. Oh, now. yeah. You know, clean to mean right there. I remember hearing a, a story about Santana saying you set all of the of the dials on your guitar to five. Then you dial in the amplifier. And then you let the guitar sing. Hmm. And it was just kind of like, a oh, never, never really thought of it that way. We're all like, bring it to 10 and then dial in the amplifier. OK, so next one that we have. What about pedals? Based on the stage size, do you change what pedals you bring? No. See, for the most part, I'm the same. But then again, I use multi-FX. So whether I bring the HX Stomp or the HX FX, it's really not that big of a deal. I, I don't use up that much of a, of a size. Now, when I did full-time, I had a large pedal board. And there was a lot of effects that went on there. And when I played a smaller stage, I went, well, it's got to fit my effects. The end. Yeah. So no change. Um, Taylor Eyed, Peter Eyed's son who played, that was also a trip at the grandstand at Life Fest was not only did I get to do the Echelon set, but right before it, I got to play with Peter Eyed doing his set. So I got two back-to-back sets on the grandstand. And so it was really great. So cool. And Taylor is always, his Peter's son, he's become a really good guitar player. He Mm -hmm. likes a lot of effects. And so he's got the... And he all loves technology, too. He fully embraces it. So I didn't... You might know. Did you go over and look what he was playing? I did. He was actually playing the Helix. Okay. The, the Line 6 Helix. Yeah, no surprise. He's always been into that. And and he dialed it in good, I thought. But he had a lot of effects on his sound. You know, it was it was mm-hmm. pretty thick. But it sounded good. I thought he did a nice job with it. And he went over and looked at me. Because, of course, I'm old school. I've got a pedal board with these analog pedals on it, a couple digital, a digital delay, but that's about it. And he's like, well, you don't have that much on there. And I just said, I said, I never have. And it, and it reminded me of, I saw Sammy Hagar last summer. Uh, Sammy Hagar's guitar player full-time is Vic Johnson. Vic Johnson usually mm-hmm. has three amplifiers behind him and a big mm-hmm. rack of effects. And, and his tone is, is usually really thick and very effects-driven. Usually sounds good. It's fine. Sammy doesn't even use a wireless because there's usually three or four <laughs> songs that he plays guitar on. He has a big, long, I don't know, 40, 50-foot chord. And it, it, yep. when I saw him there, he was playing a, a Marshall Vintage Modern. But he actually, for years, the same Blackstar amp that I am, the Series 1, he used that for years. But now he's been using the uh, Marshall Vintage Modern. But the same thing, he's got two of them on stage in case one dies. That's the only reason it's there. He's got this 50-foot cord plugged into the front of that thing. That's it. He picks up his guitar. I mean, this is Sammy Hagar. No effects, right into a Vintage Modern. And I sat there last summer and heard Vic play. And the minute Sammy played, I went, Vic, you need to sound like Sammy. Sammy's tone was so good. Yeah. Nothing on it. Nothing on it. Just totally raw. It was full and fat and clear. And Vic's, it, it was like it was hard to even fit in the mix. Just drenched yeah. with all these effects. And, you know, that's kind of me. You know, it's, we go back yep. to everything else kind of play. I'm kind of that way guitar, too. I'm, I'm old school I love delay. 
um, maybe a little compressor. Mm-hmm. A wah pedal's cool. And I love the vibrato or tremolo or vibrato, either one. I do really like that. Yeah. I don't use it a lot, but I do really like it. It has its place. Yeah. When but, you can use it, it has its place. My basic tone is just a, give me a good basic clean tone and a good overdrive and I'm good. That's where I'm at. Yeah. Well, some reverb and some delay. Yeah. But not a ton. It's not no. like it's super wet no. or anything. Yeah. Not at all. Okay. Last thing before final thoughts. And that is, we've talked about stage size. Does the number of people matter based off of what you choose? So like for me, I'll, I'll go ahead and do one first. And that is because of my relationship with Kretzman, if I know I'm going to be playing for a bunch of people and I know that I'm going to just be playing on the bridge pickup of a telly or something like that, then I will use Kretzman's guitar because that Kretzman P90 is exactly what I need for all of the set list that I'm going to be doing if I'm just going to be playing on the bridge all the time. Hmm. If there's a lot of people, I mean, AC 15 is nice. AC 30, maybe a little better, a half stack. Awesome. So Hmm. if I've got a lot of people, I may lean towards going ahead and doing the larger amp if it's available, but otherwise, I mean, I really don't, I don't change much. I mean, that's the beauty of a PA system and in-ears. So you can kind of do whatever. No surprise to anyone for everything I've said already. And that, yeah, no, I don't, my, it's more song. It's it's more about the song that I'm playing than the stage and the people. I'll, depending on what the tunes yeah. are that we're doing, that'll direct what gear I bring more than size yeah. of a stage or, or, uh, or people. Darn right. It, and it should. Yeah. Yep. All right, so that brings us to final thoughts. So, Lloyd, I know that you usually just leave it all out on the table, and you're like, I don't have any final thoughts. But do you happen to have any final thoughts on this when it comes to big stage versus small stage? Well, there was that time that I was uh, going to wrestle an alligator. Mm-hmm. Cream corn. And I was a little concerned that, uh, you know, we were, it was a two foot of water. And, uh, you know, it was like the stage wasn't very big where the pool of water was on. And I, uh-huh. uh, um, I was like, Super Dave, we, uh, <laughs> we, might, we might have a problem here because if that gator, he looks pretty hungry. You know, I don't know if I could, uh, if, 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 you know, it's two foot of water, but I don't know if I can get out of this fast enough. You know, and I was yeah. concerned about this uh-huh. and I brought it up to uh, my crew because uh, back in the day I had a, had a pretty good crew. And, uh, and I, mm-hmm. and I, and I, I told him my concerns and, oh, Super Dave, he's fine. We'll make sure that he's well-fed. He'll hardly be hungry at all, Super Dave. Mm-hmm. And, sure. uh, and so I, I went for it. I hopped into that gator and, uh, I didn't really know what I was supposed to do though. They never really told me that. I'm like, am I supposed to run away from the gator? What is this? You uh-huh. know, they, they advertise this as Super Dave versus gator. Does that mean yeah. we're having a, a swimming contest? Is this a, we're going to both, they're going to put an antelope out and we're supposed to like right on the edge of the pool and we're both supposed to take the antelope by the jaws and pull it in? I really mm-hmm. wasn't sure what they Are you both going to become luggage? I, I had no idea. And so uh, I was yeah. a little concerned. It turned out okay. I've, uh, I've still got, you know, most of the useful appendages. So we're, it's, it's, yeah. it's good, you know. So you're not Super Dave. You're actually his stunt double. <laughs> <laughs> You've never seen, uh, just like Radar Riley on MASH, you'd never know that he's got a crippled left hand because they never show it. 
Really? He does. Never show it. I've got to watch MASH again. You won't see it. All right, but do you have any actual final thoughts? No, that's about it. <laughs> okay. Well, as far as my final thoughts go to kind of finish things up, I look at all of this, and because we spent two-thirds of this talking about nostalgia and talking about the stages and the memories we have from it, this is all I can really tell you. When it comes down to people saying, big stage, small stage, which do you prefer? Big stage, small stage, what do you bring? Big stage, small stage, what do you expect? The answer is, it's life. Yeah. It is your life. It is your career. It is your fun. It's your enjoyment. And the fact is, is it doesn't matter. Big stage or small stage, bring what you bring, do what you do, love it, yeah. and make memories. Take mental pictures. And if you have some friends, make sure they take actual pictures because <laughs> it is worth it to remember it for a lifetime. I guess my, my thoughts would go back to what I already said because I said I'd leave it all on the table. Um, but is really it's about the song, you know, big stage, small stage. It's it's all tools, you know, the guitar. The it's just it just it's a channel for what you for the uh, the amount of time that you practiced, the emotion that you put into it, the vocal performance. All of that is is so much more important than how big your amp is. Absolutely. Thank you, Lloyd, for being here on the couch. Thanks, Tijan. Bye. Bye. Well, that's all the time we have for the Twee Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, make sure you leave five stars and review. Also, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And remember, you are your greatest asset. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>